Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 tonight. And we're looking at verse 6 as we preach a message titled, Step Up. Step Up. I think Mrs. Scrambling, or Mr. Scrambling, I'm not sure which one, but it was from them, sent me a text today. And I think they, I don't know if it was supposed to be a joke or if it was a very serious uh, submission of a good idea that I'm strongly considering to win the prize of the year. But it seems that a preacher was preaching away from the pulpit when all of a sudden people were starting to jump. And he looked around, he looked up in the balcony, and his own son was there with a pea shooter leaning over the balcony and shooting people in the back of the head. And the dad was, boy, he was starting to turn red. He's getting ready to yell at him. He's, and he stopped for a moment. And the boy said, Dad, keep on preaching. I'm waking him up. So, you know, I got to think about it. That's a good idea, okay? So if you go to sleep, just expect somebody with a pea shooter to get you in the back of the head, all right? That wins for the year, all right. Okay, well, first uh, Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. We had, uh, this morning we saw David, King David. Uh, before he's a king, uh, a boy, he's the only guy that manned up. He's a teenager, and he mans up when all the other men are running and shaking in their boots, or in their sandals, I guess, in that case. But they're all, they're all afraid. And he's, he stands up. He's not afraid to stand up, and he stands up for Jesus. Does a uh, tremendous job, of course, kills the giant. But, but we just look at the fact that he had opposition, and he couldn't understand why people would be afraid of this Philistine who's defied their God. He knew that God was greater than that Philistine. God used him in the wilderness to kill a lion and a bear. They didn't have guns back then. So he was able to kill a lion and a bear. Uh, and, and so he thought, well, boy, lion and bear, either one would kill a giant in no time flat. So he thought, why not me? Why not I go out there? If these folks aren't going to go out there, then I'll go. Of course, he tells them that, and then uh, his oldest brother lets him know, oh, you can't do that. And then he puts them down and starts to mock him and undercut him and just say all kinds of bad things about him, make fun of him, uh, let him know how bad he is and all that. And he says, well, what have I done now? And just turns from him and finds out some more. And, of course, you know the rest of the story there. He slays the giant. But what is interesting to me, he stepped up then. But then later, when the, all the girls come out singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And Saul got jealous. Saul was mad. He thought, okay, this guy's... Uh, stepping in my territory. And so he sends them out in dangerous missions. Every time he goes out in a danger mission, dangerous mission, he comes back a winner. And so finally Saul is thinking about, how do I kill this man? And so now they're thinking of killing him, and he escapes from him. He's at the uh, cave in Gedi there, and he gets out. And, and these caves that he goes, Agilum and all that, and he gets away from Saul. They never, Saul's never able to get him. Both times in those caves, uh, David could have killed Saul. 
He could have killed Saul. And he did not allow it because he would not touch the Lord's anointed. So going through all of that, realizing that there's no let up, Saul tells him, makes promises and to him, but Saul, for some reason or another, just doesn't keep his promise. You know, he's supposed to give him his daughter to wife, and he actually did, and then he takes her from her and gives him to someone else. And so just Saul breaks promises. He told Jonathan, yeah, yeah, I'll let him live. And then he still tries to kill him. Finally, David does the wrong thing in that he flees to Achish, the Philistine, and says he's going to serve him. Now, he does some underhanded things there, and you'll always do underhanded things when you get away from the Lord's will. And that's what he did. But yet he still walked with God. And so that's the background going into this chapter. But uh, verse 6 is the, is the text verse, and then we'll go back over the first eight verses here in just a moment. Verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now shall we pray. Father, as we look to your word, We saw early in David's life, he stepped up. He trusted you, and he stepped up because he could trust you. And now, here he is at this point in life, where even those that are his followers talk of stoning him. But once again, he steps up. So help us to see this tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. What I'd like to do is just review these first uh, eight verses so that you can get the idea here. It says, it came to pass. Now understand, David got sent back from the war because the Philistines didn't trust David. And so Achish, one of the kings of the Philistines, said, David, they said, no, you can't go with us. You and your men get up when it's daylight and you leave and you go on back. And so they head back. And so that's where our text takes up in verse 30. And it came to pass when David and his men come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, neither great nor small, but carried them away and went on their way. Now this is where David was staying in the Philistine land was in Ziklag, but they were all gone for this war that they didn't get to be a part of. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoab, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because of the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. And David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, 
I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod, and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now understand that all the men there, all these people that have been following him, their wives, their children, they've all been taken. They've been taken from the land and, and, and these soldiers have taken them and they, there had been no one there to protect them. Now they're mad at David. They want to stone David. They're talking about it. They haven't done it yet, but they're talking about it. And so David does the right thing. He goes to prayer. But what I find interesting in that, he asked God, should I go? Uh, David's two wives are there. Yet he asked, should I go? In other words, most of those men, that's my wife, that's my children. We want to go. We want to do something. David doesn't say that. David instead says, should I go? You see, David puts God first in everything, even before his family. We had an, uh, an example of that uh, recently with Abraham. Remember? He had that knife up ready to come down on his son because God said so. And God stopped him. And Abraham put God even before his son Isaac. Putting God before your family is not a saying, it's a reality. It's only a saying if you just say it, but you don't do it. God must be first, Christ must be first in all things of your life. David becomes a great man. But getting there, he's hunted, he's, and they want to kill him. And the very king, King Saul, that he saved, hates him. His brethren are down on him. His brother Eliab, as we saw in chapter 17. Why you aren't out there with those few sheep in the desert? Then his own men are talking of stoning him. So what does David do? The best thing he could do, he encourages himself in the Lord. Now, our tendency is to go to men, man, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He didn't do that. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He knew nobody wanted anything to do with him. And following the advice of men, got him in the predicament he's in anyhow. Now he says, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what the Lord says. I need to get back to where I left. And so, what a challenge that is to us as we look at that. There is opposition in this world because Satan is the God of this world. These very things that Brother Osborne spoke of this evening, that's the opposition of Satan in the world. That's his opposition. Now, I like that law in the 1990s because it goes along with our Sunday school campaign, Whosoever Will, <laughs> okay? And, and when they had that, we, whosoever will, you know, you're, you're, 
Faith is first, and, and that was a good piece of legislation. But we see here that because Satan is the God of this world, man tries to bring you down. Whether it's by friends. If he cannot bring you down from without, then he'll try to bring you down from within, whether it's family or whatever else. Satan is out to give you. Now just think of uh, Adam and Eve. Eve is deceived and she eats of the fruit. She talks Adam into eating it with her. Now, Adam's not deceived. He goes in knowing what the consequences are. But he does it for Eve. Eve is able to have that influence on him. And so, right there, right off the bat, the first time a man turns from God for the purpose of family, when he puts family ahead of God, it brings disaster. And, and that's why the wages of sin is death. And you and I are born with a sin nature. Because Adam turned his back on God. Turned his eyes from God to follow his wife. Now, think about this. When they both get confronted with God, what happens? Adam throws Eve under the bus. And they didn't even have buses then. Eve throws the serpent under the bus. <laughs> serpent doesn't have anybody. Okay, poor guy. And so, he's on his belly the rest of his time. But what I'm saying is this. Is that the moment seems good. You know that fruit seemed good to them. But the consequences weren't worth it. The pleasure of doing wrong was not worth the consequences. The pleasures of sin... The pleasures of family, the pleasure of friends is not worth the consequences in the long run of eternity. If you don't believe, for an example, that heaven is real. If you don't believe in eternity. If you don't believe that there is a reward or there is a shameless for believers then you don't want to have the strength of character, or you won't have the strength of character to stand when you must stand alone. David had to stand alone. The others were ready to stone him. David had to stand alone. Now, you think about it. A huge army, Saul's army, is searching for him and his men. He doesn't have enough men to fight it as we would think of an army. He can't do that. It's just not there. But he knows God is greater than the armies of the world. He knows obeying God is most important. He knows obeying the Word of God and trusting the Word of God is most important. And so even though all are seemingly forsaking Him now, He knows He can stand with the Lord. And you've heard people say, God and me make a majority. Well, God makes the majority. Get on His side. Just get on His side. God is the majority. And so you have to have the strength of character to be willing to stand alone. 
It looks bad in this country. It's very bad. And just some of the things that we heard tonight tell us it's bad. But understand, revival starts in the heart. And it can start in the heart of one person. And it can affect your family. It can affect your church. It can affect your community. And it can spread out. It can spread out. We all talk about D.L. Moody. Now, what's happened to Moody Bible Institute and other things up there is a big change from what it started out. It's interesting, all those uh, professors before it closed down the Institute were Calvinist. But D.L. Moody and Spurgeon had problems because D.L. Moody uh, was not a Calvinist and Spurgeon was a, not a Calvinist like they are today, but he was a Calvinist. They would differ, but old uh, Spurgeon had them over because he liked seeing souls getting saved. And that little shoe salesman went out and multitudes come to Christ because, because he trusted God and was willing to stand alone no matter where he was. And God made a difference. And that's the way the Lord works. David, to us, is a very popular king right now. We'd say of Jerusalem, right there, when, you go, when we go there, we can stand on the eastern uh, mountain there, and we can look at the eastern gate and look to the side there from Mount Scopus and see a little area there that's called the City of David. Where David dwelt. So I ask, do you believe? Most people in history were people that were not well liked, although they made a great difference. Winston Churchill was not a well liked person in his day. But so many like to quote him now. General Patton. I've heard my dad tell stories about how Guys got so mad at him. But we look back in history, if you read the true history books, and you find out that his leadership was instrumental in us winning in World War II. We go on talking about others that are heroes now, but they were hated by others in their day, but they had the character to stand. If it meant standing alone, they had the character to stand. The thing about in Jesus Christ, you never have to stand alone. Jesus Christ is always there. You never have to stand alone. You must decide to be a man or a woman of character and ethics. Or you too will be saved so as by fire if you are saved. You won't have the respect of your own friends and family at the end. Now, I know some people get mad that don't really take the Bible literally. They, they want to explain it away. They, they want to spiritualize. They're not spiritualizing it. They think they're spiritualizing. They are not spiritualizing it. Instead, they're humanizing it to be, and they lived happily ever after. And that's not it. That's not it. You can't spiritualize the Bible away. 
They're the words of the Spirit, and the Spirit said what He meant, and He meant what He said. Every word is God breathed. So when you read in Ezekiel chapter 33, and He says, When I tell you to warn the wicked from his wicked way, if he doesn't turn his way, you don't warn him, I'm going to require their blood at your hand. Now I remember the first time I ever preached that, some man come walking up to me, and I mean he had a look of fear in his face. What does that mean? And talking to him in just a few moments, I realized he thought, that means I'm going to be cast to the lake of fire with the guy? And I said, no, no. His blood is on your hands is the idea that you did not try to witness to him. Because the next verse says, if you do warn him and he still rejects it, then that's not on your hand. Then he goes on in the very next verse, verse 11, I believe it is there in Ezekiel 33, and he says... That he, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he should turn from his way. But we are to war. And you say, well, what does that blood mean on the hand? One of the things I think is because there's a crown for turning others to Christ and salvation. Aren't ye my crown of rejoicing at the appearing of Christ? How about in, in Daniel chapter 12? They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. And when we turn people to Christ, they shall shine as the stars forever. They that turn many. So what is it? It's lost reward. Remember? In the parable that Jesus gave, take from him that hath the one and give it to him that hath the ten. And they say, oh Lord, he has ten. Yeah. Yes, he does. These guys went out there and did what I told him to do. I rewarded that. This guy had the one thing and he didn't do anything with it. I'm going to give it to the ten. This guy over here is saved so as by fire. There's the blood of souls on his hands. The idea is that he could have been a witness and he didn't even invite folks to Sunday school and church, let alone be a witness. Wouldn't give out a track. You see, that's the difference. That's the difference. I've told people plenty of times, look, ours is to turn souls to righteousness. How many get saved? Not up to us. If it's up to how our great ability is to do a sales talk, that means nothing. You might be able to get a person to say a prayer. That means nothing. Uh, I was talking to a man one day that was noted as a national great soul winner. If I told you his name, you'd know it. I'm not going to tell you his name because it doesn't mean anything now, especially. He's with the Lord. But he called one day and said, man, is able to lead 25 people to the Lord in 30 minutes. Does that sound great? And so the question was, you mean you had 25 there and you witnessed to them the gospel and then they all received Christ as Savior? Right there and they prayed with you? No. no. He'd go through a cash register and... Uh, Buy us something and say, hey, if you believe Jesus died for you and rose from the dead uh, and you want him to be your savior and go to heaven forever, then shake my hand. They'd shake his hand. Okay, you're saved. No. No. That, that's not salvation. Okay, that's not salvation. Now, it has some good words in there, but that's not salvation. Yeah, I got 25 different people in a 30-minute period doing that same thing. That's not, that's not turning people to righteousness. That's trying to find numbers to add to your account, and it, go, and it ends up to be in no account. 
Okay? So again, we got to call people to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Don't be one of those that are saved so as by fire. And you see that person at the white throne judgment as you're there as a witness cast into the lake of fire. And they see your face as they're cast into that eternal lake. Mm. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the word of God? Do you believe in eternal reward? Then you stand, you stand and you stand up and you step up for Jesus. Don't cover our yellow cowardice with vain tries at being religious. Look, I am thankful. I had a pastor one time that told me, he says, you're going to have people that come to church faithfully. They're not going to invite anybody to come to church. They're not going to do anything in the church. They're not going to teach a Sunday school class. They're not going to work on a bus route. They're not going to be at visitation. But they're going to be there. They may pray, and that's great. But he says, that's the level they are. They may come and they tithe. They help keep the things going in that respect. He says, if that's where all your focus is, Yes, you preach to them the word, you preach to them the same word, you preach to the others. Others respond. There's some that you can lead and some you cannot lead. And some are going to be satisfied to be saved so as by fire. And he said, your responsibility is to preach the word. Preach the word. You can't do anything about the decisions they make about that word. And that's right. That's right. David had to turn to God throughout his life. And God delivers. And there are psalms that are written that show how God delivered him. I think of uh, Lee Robertson again. And I've told you this story. And, and I remember hearing it first from uh, Shelton Smith. But boy, I tell you what. This still just meant so much to me. Shelton Smith asked him one day after he was uh, stepped down, retired from the pastorate, and just went around the country speaking. He said, uh, Dr. Robertson, he says, what was the biggest disappointment or the biggest surprise to you in those 40-something years of, of ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church? And he said, without hesitation, for 42 years that I was that pastor, I was always opposed. There was never a time that I was unopposed. Now, you think about that. There are... Literally thousands of missionaries on the field. There have been hundreds, maybe to thousands of churches that have been uh, planted throughout America and around the world. Multitudes of God's souls got saved. As a matter of fact, my dad was giving the gospel to my brother Dick and I in the house. And then dad sat with Dick and my mom sat with me and led us in prayer and, and questioned. Dr. Lee Robertson actually baptized me when I was six years old. I got baptized in front of about two or three thousand people. But that man of God was used of God in a very special way. But he was always opposed. And I like the way the story, well, I don't like the way the story ends, but it's true the way the story ends. Somebody says, we don't want another Lee Robertson here. And they didn't get another Lee Robertson, and there is no more Highland Park Baptist Church. 
So uh, he got his desire, but he may not have wanted what he got. Now, I wonder what we said at the end of life that standing for Jesus, I was never opposed. If you think that, then you may not have stood for Jesus. To say you were in church, maybe you did some speaking up, but you made sure that you spoke up in a compromising way. You take a stand on separation from the world, you're not going to be popular. You take a stand on righteousness, you're not going to be popular. But you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll make thee ruler over many things. David got blessings in this life in that he was made the king. After this, shortly after this, he became the king of Israel. But it was a battle all the way. Now, David... He had to do some crazy things to get where he was. I mean, you're staying in, in caves. You go in there, there's, there's your enemy. You could kill him right there, but you just cut off a piece of his garment. You walk up when he's laying there, and, and there's a deep sleep on all of them, and you could have killed him right then. I mean, there's just things that he could have done that he did not do. Because it would not have been right to do it. But David did not change his faith in the Lord. He stood. In our text, he's greatly distressed. The people are speaking of stoning him. But he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, let me just use a kind of a final type of an illustration here to bring this to a close. Sometimes, whether it's in a church service like this, maybe it's in a revival meeting, you're sitting smack dab, that's a southern term, smack dab in the middle of the pew. There are five people on this side, five people on that side, and the preaching has been taken care of, and, and God has spoken to your heart through the preached word of God. And you know God is speaking to your heart, and you're saying, I should go. And you look down the aisle, you look down that way. I don't know, I've got to step over people to get there, you know, and do all this stuff. I'll just stay here and make the decision in my seat. And so you stay there, and nothing happens. Sometimes you have to step over people. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's fellow employees. Sometimes it's neighbors. But sometimes you're just going to have to step over people to follow the Lord. Because those people don't want to go that way. They are in the way. And you can say, look, I'm going to the Lord. You can go with me. If they don't want to go with you, you can't force it. But you can't invite them. You can go after But you follow the Lord. David, instead of uh, looking to men and trying to reason with men, 
when they're hurt and when they're down, instead of trying to reason with them, what does he do? He goes to the Lord. He knows the Lord is the way to the heart. His word is the way to the heart. So David says, I'm going to do what God says. And even though it's his wives and even though it's all these children and so forth, he says, Lord, shall I go? Do you think David wanted to go to rescue? He definitely did. But he won't go until he asks the Lord. There are things that you might like to do. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. Well, you make sure it's the Lord's will first. You're having troubles and trials in your life. And boy, you say, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Go to the Lord. Get the Lord's direction. And you know what? David heard the voice of the Lord. We don't have to hear the voice of the Lord. We can read his words. And you can know as his Holy Ghost in your heart directs you. Whatever the Holy Ghost directs, it'll never be contrary to the word of God. But if you don't step up for Jesus, don't expect revival. Don't expect anything in your family to change if you're not willing to step up. Step up. Let's bow our heads, please.